0: Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. My name is Tom Douglas. Uh, we are going to be joining you here today for a couple of hours. My good pal, Chef Terry Rotero, the chef in the chapeau, is uh, coming online here. What's up, Terry?
1: I am doing so well.
0: How are you doing, Tom? Super fantastic. Uh, I am chef-owner of several joints here in in Seattle, in and around Seattle now. It used to all be in the core now with our takeout out in Ballard at our warehouse in Ballard at... It feels like we've expanded our horizons a bit. Uh, The other thing I'll say, and I don't think this has been mentioned yet, um, we are going to, we have signed a lease to open a serious pie on the east side. Big time. Big time. And so um, I'm supposed to let them uh, announce it, but we're going to announce this week that uh, we have signed a lease over there uh, with the the group over there in Totem Lake. And so... uh, um, it's going to be an exciting time. Open this fall sometime, if we can find anyone to work. <laughs> but oh my God! I know it's it's interesting out there right now. Uh, yep. uh, also, I have so we have Series Takeout out in Ballard. We've got Series Pie downtown. The Dahlia Bakery is now open almost a month. It is rocking and rolling, and our egg sandwiches are a big hit. We just got an order for. Um, I think 60 egg sandwiches uh, on Tuesday. And then uh, we all looked at each other. And said, Who took the order on Tuesday? We're closed on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
0: So we're going we're gonna to come in and make them. But uh, that was a funny thing that happened on the way to the forum. And, of course, you can come down and see me. I'll be shucking oysters this weekend down at Seatown Restaurant, which is uh, right there at the corner of Western and Virginia Street down at the north end of the Pike Place Market area, and I'll be out there shucking oysters this weekend, as I do most weekends. So, um, look forward to seeing you there. Chef, uh, you're on your swan song with Luke, huh?
1: That is correct. We got 45 days left, and, uh, it's rocking. It's, uh, a lot of people are coming by, say hi, and, uh, you know, saying how sorry they are, then this is ending, and, um, you know, we still have 45 days, so if you have, if you want to make a last visit, this is the time to do it, and, uh, Plan ahead, because it's busy every night, So, and we we'll are open Tuesday through Saturday from 4.30 to 9 p.m., and uh, inside or outside, but uh, hurry up if you want to make a reservation, because it's definitely th- filling up quickly.
0: 4.30 to 9 p.m., so last week I asked you for a reservation on your last night, and you gave me a reservation at 10 p.m., so are you try- <laughs> are you trying to t- tell
1: me something? Well, we need someone to do the dishes, Tom. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. Thank especially, you. especially
1: on the last day.
0: Thank you so much. Up in today's show, we have peak of the season eggplants. Uh, I've been cooking them by much because ours have really popped at the Prosser Farm. Uh, Kevin Smith is here. He's the uh, handsome owner of the Beast and Cleaver Butcher Shop in Ballard, one of Pamela's, uh, our, our producer's, favorite places to shop. Dick Stevens is going to tell us about the James Beard Award dinner that's coming up with Rachel Yang. Homemade sauces. You know, um, there's a reason why I call the New York Times food section the best in the world. And if you uh, haven't seen, uh, which one is this? This is the July 14th New York Times food section. There's a great article on all sorts of little dipping sauces. And I think that uh, in cooking, it's super fun to be able to cook a piece of fish, cook a piece of meat, and then just put a simple little sauce on top. They're so uh, they're so international, and, and they can uh, you just pick one that fits the menu profile that you're cooking that night, what, don't right. you think?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I what's impressive is they found 20 of them. They didn't just do, like, three of them.
0: Right. You know, because they went through their whole staff, and their staff is from everywhere, right. and so you pick up all the different ones from around the world. Pastry chef Stacy Fortner dissects the Washington cherry crop, I know we're getting towards the end of that right now, so you better get out and get them and get them pitted. Uh, you know, old chef, we just picked the apricots off of our tree, uh, the first set. We had a few more than I thought we were going to, uh, and I took three totes of apricots, cut them in half. I made a, a five-gallon bucket of syrup to put them in. With, uh, mm-hmm. You know you know how we like to go through our fridge? I yeah. went through my liquor cabinet. <laughs> and so I started with uh, five pounds of sugar and mixed it with water, made a simple syrup. And then I just went through my liquor cabinet and got rid of a whole bunch of ends of things. I had a bottle of Lignon berry liqueur. I had some Remy Martin VSOP. That's just a you know, short bottle. Uh, a little bit of this grappa, like a Moscato grappa. I just had a bunch of little things that I thought would work together. And I finished off a bunch of bottles into my syrup. <laughs> and now I have a five-gallon bucket of preserved apricot halves for our apricot tart at the Dahlia Bakery. So,
1: Those are going to be delicious.
0: That's my taste of the week because, you know what? I had never done that before, and it worked beautifully. So we're going to talk about cherries, and maybe you could do something like that with your last-of-the-season cherries. And, of course, we're going to play our Food for Thought Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge, which, for some reason, I continuously get bashed on. By our guests, by our uh, by chef Terry, oh, I, no, by I, Sean. Uh, why do I, do I always I get? I, I feel like a trust turkey.
2: You're getting really easy ones today. Oh,
1: okay. Oh, here
0: you go. Okay, let's let's jump into our taste of the week. I just told you. Uh, you know, part of uh, the joy of cooking, in my opinion, is the, the preservation of crops at the peak of their season and then having them later in the season when uh, when they're not around. So Chef, what's your taste of the week? We have about a minute and so, a half.
1: Watermelon, beautiful watermelon on the market right now. And I made a watermelon gazpacho with red onions, lots of fresh herbs and watermelon, all diced and put together. You know, blend. I took half of the watermelon, blended, put it in ice cube tray. With a little bit of anise ice up and put that in the freezer just for later for my cocktails, and because um, I like to have you know that that makes that makes the best ice cube ever. Mm-hmm. Watermelon has enough just enough consistency to make a kind of an edible ice cube, you know, mm-hmm. kind of idea. But it really tastes really beautiful when they're ripe, so perfect juice for that. And then gazpacho next to that, diced watermelon, uh, blend some of it too, put the two together, dice some red onion. A little cilantro, a little mint, and put the whole thing together, and use that as a cold soup to start a meal. That was my taste of the week because that watermelon was just flawless. It was perfect in consistency, in in texture, and it was perfectly ripe and sweet. baby Jesus, yeah. so good!
0: Now, is that the kind of thing you might use a finishing oil on, like a preserved lemon oil, or a, yes. you know, like a, that's, some, that's some sort of oil you would make? That. Yeah, it's perfect for that. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe and even and some flakes salt. salt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, look at us thinking the same way right now exactly
1: i mean yeah. we're taking each other's words out of our mouth oh, <laughs> crazy and no, uh, i mean it's also another one to come up um it's that i'm going to do next is the white peaches they're coming up and i had a white peach oh my god i love white peaches you know when a white peach is perfect it is definitely the most gorgeous gorgeous fruit ever
0: and do you mm. think they taste different than uh, yellow peaches is that what you're saying?
1: Oh, yeah, they do. They, if, if it's a perfect true white peach, it tastes a little bit different than the yellow peach, yes. The yeah. Yellow peach to me is um, a bit more like a but it's nectarine. You know, it's the same kind of concept of, of flavor and texture. It's usually tiny bit more, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I think white peaches are a little bit sweeter, I think, maybe in general. All right. But they are, mm, they're magical. Mm,
0: you're making me hungry. Uh, It's time now for peak of the season, eggplants and other nightshades that are popping like crazy over on the east side of the mountains. You're on uh, Cairo Radio. We are the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Show, radio show, and we're happy to be here. Stay with us all two hours today on Cairo 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Show on Cairo Radio. Uh, my name is Tom Douglas, uh, and we are here at the Hot Stove location down at 4th and Virginia in downtown Seattle.
1: And I'm Terry Rotiro the chef in a hat, live in Madison Valley.
0: Live in Madison Valley. We're glad he's alive.
1: He's alive! <laughs> it's alive! And the game is staying alive. Yeah, Staying exactly. alive. <laughs> uh, 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 staying, staying alive. alive.
0: Okay, There we go. Um, <laughs> The uh, <laughs> chef uh, Jackie uh, brought over some beautiful eggplants, and we have several different varieties. We have the globes. We have the little fairy um, fairy tale eggplants. The so kind of They're about uh-huh. the size of my thumb, and they're kind of a, a variegated purple and white uh, fairy tale eggplants. And then also she brought over some beautiful Japanese eggplants. So it's kind of long, kind of gangly looking. They're fairly thin. Uh, they can get super big, but we don't. We don't let them get that big. That's my favorite. I like to take those and I'll uh, take those and I'll make fingers out of them. I cut the length of the f- eggplant back and forth, and so they have they're like almost like 6 sixth or quarters, but I leave the top intact. And mm-hmm. uh, I may, I love this it's kind of teriyaki style. So I'll put them on the charcoal grill, get them started, and then for the when they're about eighty percent cooked, I brush them with teriyaki sauce. Uh, And Mm -hmm. then uh, that sweet teriyaki caramelizes on the grill and makes beautiful little caramelized eggplants. So, uh, so tasty. Yeah, exactly. Goes great with maybe a a stir fry or, you know, something um, like a red pork or something that you're a slow braised red pork or something like that. So how do you like to make eggplant?
1: Um, I'm. I'm going to go with the globe eggplant because that's the most common one that people find in the market nowadays. Oh, actually, they find Japanese eggplant everywhere, too. So. But um, the globe eggplant, I like to just slice them straight lengthwise, and then I like to salt them on a, on a grill, on a, on a um, cookie, uh, what do you call that, a cookie grill? Cooling you know? rack, a, a,
0: cookie a cooling, cooling, cooling rack, a cookie cooling rack, yeah.
1: And then, you know, leave them for about an hour on both sides, a total of an hour, 30 minutes on each side. And then I like to uh, rinse them, you know, pat paper dry, um, pat them dry, and then uh, grill them. I like to grill them very nice heat, give them a nice little char on both sides, and then take them off the grill, dice them big, big square, you know, cut the the eggplant in big square. And I like to make a grilled eggplant and tomato salad with balsamic, very simple, olive oil and basil. And keep that very simple and use that as a almost like an antipasto, you know, in mm-hmm. Italian restaurants or um, just, a, just a Mediterranean antipasto, basically. But use that as an appetizer. And from that, you can do so many things with that because just like the, the, your Japanese eggplant, you can put so many things on top of that. Use that as a vessel for you could add feta cheese, olives, make it more Greek style kind of, kind of um, salad. You could add cucumber. Or you could add so many different things. Mm-hmm. You could also add grilled barbecue chicken. You know, if you did some nice barbecue chicken, you slice it and put it right on top of that uh, antipasto kind of idea of salad. It's really delicious. I, I must say that an eggplant is one of those vegetables that um, it come once a year, and uh, that's about the all, you know one of the few ways. I mean, I like Japanese eggplant when they're uh, like you do, like you're doing young in and the like that, or yeah. on the grill, mm-hmm. and then toss it in a salad. Or tart it as a base with soy sauce. I like that idea, too. But otherwise, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a big eggplant fan. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a strange vegetable in terms of flavor. It's definitely bitter. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a different but, – but it's nice to have it once a year. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> or a
2: couple of times a year, even. Go ahead, Pamela. I'm happy to report that I was able to replicate your charred skin in, oh, the, yeah? in the oven. Well, tell people what you did. Um. I know you don't believe in this, but I think heating up your pan. So I had my sheet pan with the oil, 450 in the oven while I was cutting, slicing the eggplant. So it immediately started browning Uh when I got it in. And uh, it needed to be flipped after 10 minutes, but it got so brown and crunchy on the outside, moist on the inside. I, I put it under... Uh, a salad to try to trick my husband into thinking it was a steak <laughs> under there of course he <laughs> i was discovered but yeah. uh-huh. um, and did it ruin your sheet pan because that's i need dawn and i need a new <laughs> batch of sos <laughs>
0: you know my suggestion I, I, in I, that I, if you're going to preheat a pan in the oven like that you you're right i don't believe in the sheet pan technique a whole lot but if you do it with cast iron, then I uh, it holds the heat and it really does heat up, and, and that would have been smarter. So just just an FYI, and, that. and
1: also uh, an FYI, um, try to put the oil at the last minute, not ahead of time, uh, because if it splatters in your oven, you're yeah. definitely gonna have a little issue.
2: Yeah, I was hoping you'd come and help me clean the oven. <laughs> it's pretty nice. I never ever
0: liked eggplant until I discovered Baba Ganoush. And uh that's a
1: oh, yeah. that's a
0: typical kind of uh uh Middle Eastern dish that so many cultures make, you know, every day. Like uh Anyway, uh, so you take the big globe eggplant, you put it right over direct flame. You know, if you're on a charcoal grill, great. If not, just turn your gas burner on and just burn the crap out of that uh, skin. And I mean burn it because what what's, you're going to end up with when you peel that skin off is that smoky eggplant character. And then it's a simple recipe of the, that kind of cooked eggplant and you do have to cook it all the way through. If you've burnt the skin and you can't stay on anymore, but it's not cooked, which sometimes happens with eggplant, then just pop it in the oven and finish cooking it. But then you just mix that with tahini, lemon juice, olive oil, salt, and pepper. Boom, you're done. Uh, and that's a delicious thing to go on some freshly griddled pita, mm. uh, and I love that. Chef, can I embarrass you for a second? Oh boy! Um, you made uh, you. I've had so many delicious things that you've made over oh, the yes, years. Oh yes, I know
1: exactly what you're going. With
0: this. <laughs> one of the worst ways I've ever had eggplant. <laughs> Chef Terry made for me uh, at Rover's restaurant many many moons ago, and I uh, I don't know, Chef. I don't know what you were thinking, but you, Chef made an <laughs> eggplant soup and it was just like this oh, that sounds troubling. boiled almost like this boiled eggplant soup and he was so proud of it and i just didn't know how to tell him so i just told him straight up chef this sucks <laughs> do you remember that terry yeah. do
1: you, you know re- what you hit some and you lose some that's what they say right <laughs> do you remember yes, I that, do remember that. Yeah. just like i remember making a uh, um i made the uh, um oyster water sorbet once and I was,
2: <laughs> oh, oh. I was
1: i was very happy of it and it was a just a disaster yeah I and mean, it was it did not come out right it was just the people were looking at me like what the hell are you thinking about
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that eggplant i remember i never will forget because i i was proud of myself but it, there were so many things i were missing in that thing to make it so much prettier uh-huh. and so much uh, more palatable i should say not prettier but palatable um, yeah, and plus it looks like doo-doo in a plate, so it's not exactly It does outside. look like
0: doo-doo in a plate, and that's a bad <laughs> way to start. <laughs> but eggplant generally, when you puree it and stuff, it's not the prettiest vegetable because it grays out, you know, right. and, uh, just like Baba Ganoush is gray. But Baba right. Ganoush, because of the lemon juice and the tahini and stuff, it's just a, delightful and the smokiness and, and right, uh, right. yeah, really good. Uh, in my smoking, first book, I, I want to say we uh, did a little eggplant uh, caviar. Uh, You know, where you don't, it's more just roasted eggplant. It's not burnt like the baba ghanoush. And we did it with a little seed bread. And it's a fun little appetizer to make your own homemade seed bread and the eggplant caviar. So it was uh, tasty. All right, Chef, we got uh, a friend of the show and a friend of Pamela's because uh, uh, she shops there all the time up there at 24th and 80th in Ballard. It's called The Beast and the Cleaver butcher store it's owned by kevin smith he's going to join us next on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm we are back in the hot stove society kitchen down here at fourth and virginia downtown seattle hey uh chef terry uh, i don't know if you have one of these in your neighborhood but it's been such a pleasure in my neighborhood to uh, have a new butcher shop kind of a uh, Not just a butcher shop, but a really nice, uh, owner operated, um, whole animal, uh, thoughtful, you know, lots of interesting flavored butcher shops that you can go uh, choose from. And Pamela, our producer, who lives right down the street from me and this butcher shop, uh, tell us why you invited them on today, Pam, because you're the one who champions them to everyone you ever talk to. (laughs)
2: Well, I've never seen a meat case that looks quite like that. Thank you. It's so bountiful with interesting cuts, and um, I've also started tiptoeing into the prepared foods. Your mortadella blew my mind. Right. Being able to bring home the meatloaf. I don't know how you get your stock so thick and full of collagen. I mean, and your condiments that you sell. I mean, it's a perfect store.
3: Wow, how about that, Kevin? That's a pretty good start. Thank you very pretty much. Yeah. Uh,
0: Kevin Smith is our guest, and he is the butcher in charge at, uh, at the Beast and the Cleaver up there at 80th and 24th and Ballard. Tell us uh, how you got started and... What your what yeah. your
3: thoughts are and oh man, where do I start? So I mean, we Beast and Cleaver's been open for eighteen months now. Mm-hmm. Previously to that, I was uh, I was at the butcher's table where I was kind of in charge of all the all things meat related down there. Previously to that, I was at Rain Shadow with Russ, who's a good friend of mine. I was there for two, three years, something like that. And mm-hmm. then previously before that, I was uh, I was the doing the whole animal butchery up at um, Seven Beef uh with with eric oh. barn with eric Barnes yeah and eric's eric's great he he really gave me a lot of freedom to basically just get a whole cow every every week and just butcher it you know mm-hmm. and, and really really start dissecting the animal into um into all the individual cuts and learning a lot about vietnamese food with that which was a which was a, a new one for me because mm-hmm. i didn't know much about that um and then I was the butchery instructor at the at the pantry as well for the best part of 18 months as well up in Ballard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always wanted to do my own thing, so with... <sighs> yeah it, uh, beast and cleaver was a hair salon before we took it over but we took that lease so and, it sold rabbits <laughs> <laughs> it did sell rabbits indeed yeah it did <laughs> so we took a <laughs> lease on that place three years before we could um even get into to open it basically and we did, we knew it was a good location and we just waited and waited and then we somehow managed to to scrape the money together and, and make it happen yeah mm-hmm.
0: lovely yeah. Uh, I think it's um it's it's such a charming shop and Pamela's right there's very few places in our city uh that um, that look like your shop I mean right. you see some of these in Europe but yep. but mostly they are in very high intense urban areas mm-hmm. with very high end clientele yeah. and it's nice to have this in such you know if you need a landmark there's Larson's Bakery has been mm-hmm. there forever on the corner mm-hmm. of 80th and 24th And, uh, Pamela, you started going there for the Fresh Fish store, which is right next to Larson's.
2: Every Sunday, 5 o'clock.
0: Every Sunday, 5 o'clock. I have to visit
2: Margaret. Oh, yeah. Margaret's (laughs) great. Get her salmon. So
0: so, uh, some of the things in your case that intrigue me, you know, are... You have to sell all of – if you're going to bring a whole animal in, mm-hmm. you have to sell all the parts. And so mm-hmm. you have to be a teacher at the mm-hmm. same time for your your customers. Yeah. Like, how do you use this part? How yeah. do you use that part? Because yeah. you see things in your shop that just aren't in – not mm-hmm. in grocery stores for sure, but yeah. often not in any butcher shops.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, we literally bring in two whole cows every week, one on a Monday, one on a Thursday. And, and we take it all apart and break it down. We, we have – a specific thing for every single part of the animal so we'll we'll take the beef neck and we'll bone out the beef neck butterfly it tie it up and stuff it that's the best braising cut on whole animal we'll do the same thing with the shanks we we, we break down the entire leg you know nobody uses the back leg here it's all it, you yeah. know this is this is how whole animal butchery mm. needs to work mm-hmm. you you can't just be buying tenderloins and ribeyes, and, yeah. and it's it's destroying <laughs> it's destroying the, um, the the whole butchery setup here. Mm-hmm. You know, so by bringing the whole animal in, we can offer people cheap cuts. You know, like a, a top round, a London broil for like ten ninety nine a pound. If you know how to cook that, this is it's. I would choose it over a tenderloin. It's amazing. You know, so we we yeah. push that sort of stuff in the nice in a nice way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's one thing that's coming through slowly but surely with people like you and other chefs introducing those those cuts to the public. Um, I think it is time to put the tenderloin on the side and move on to, yeah. you know, like the Bavette has been a hero oh. for the last few years yeah. now. Yeah. You know, all those different cuts, you know, it's like it's a beautiful piece of meat. I mm-hmm. mean… Flavor, texture, what else do you want? I mean, you have none of that in the tender. Bone. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bone. And I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And that's yeah. how it should be. And also smaller sizes. You mm-hmm. don't need to eat 12 ounces of meat. Yes. I
3: mean, that's, that's
1: not even human as far as I'm concerned. You need to slow down on the size of the, of the portions. And you can get, uh, with a babbit, you should be able to feed three people. Oh, I mean, easy. That's like,
3: easy. Yeah. You know,
1: it's, it's, it's not, it's not a problem you know it's like Mm -hmm. four or five ounces of meat on the plate is how it should be the rest should be vegetables (laughs)
3: agreed and that's something we're trying to like educate people in the nicest possible way that less is more you know if you buy a really good piece of meat you don't need a pound and a half of it you know just just get six ounces. It's great, you know. Choose a cut yep. that's like you can get a, a fantastic six-ounce steak for under ten dollars. You know, um, yeah. It's, yeah. You, you don't really need that much more for one person, unless you know, unless no. unless you choose to. But um, yeah, there's so many muscles um, from the shoulder that we that we pull out in the flat eye and the Denvers, and you know, the ranch steak. You know, we we isolate the tricep muscle and cut that into really big thick steaks. And it, it, mm-hmm. it's, there's so much more to the animal than the tenderloin. Yeah.
0: One of the great right. things about uh, strolling your your counter, your your the little case is you're bringing back some what we consider old world. But I, when I'm in Scotland, I see it all the time. Great little uh, valentines, oh, yeah. you know, pates, mm-hmm. and lots of things that are really fun to kind of get your dinner up and started with. Yeah. Let's say you're having salmon, like Pamela, Pamela does every Sunday night. Yeah. A, a nice little uh, pork and pistachio valentine, or whatever it is that you're making right now, is really super fun and old fashioned yet still super trendy
3: a hundred percent that's and that's also a great way of using the whole animal you know because mm-hmm. we bring in whole pigs mm-hmm. and what what do you do when you've got you know lo- loads of ground pork covered in making sausages we will make i don't know 50 or 60 different types of pâtés and terrines and some of them are completely classic and some of them are completely unclassic mm-hmm. but there's a method mm-hmm. behind everything we're doing you know um, you know, you've got, the, you've got the liver mousses, you've got the pâté en croûte, with the pastries we make in-house. We, you know, we're constantly, constantly changing the recipes, constantly progressing. And it's, it's really good to see that stuff for me, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's what I'm really passionate about. Being able to take the livers from the ducks and the rabbits and grind them and turn them into something that tastes delicious rather mm-hmm. than just discard them you know because mm-hmm. that, that's right. that's that's the that's the whole principle of whole animal butchery you know it's to it's to use yeah, everything cer-
1: yeah. the circle of life is complete when you use everything you know the 100%. only thing you don't use is the hoof but when i was young we used to use them as ashtrays <laughs> <I don't laughs> anymore, uh, one of
0: my crossword clues the other day is uh, what's the name of uh, a hoof curry in india and i i had no idea
3: oh yeah, yeah. I I, I <laughs>
0: so whatever <laughs> um we only have a minute and a half or so. Uh, tell us what else you want to tell people about your shop and what yeah. they should look for. What's what's the surprise for people? We all know about steaks and mm-hmm. roast beef and things like that. What would you say, you really got to try this? This is what I do that nobody else does.
3: The pate on crew. The pate I don't think there's uh, – well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not aware of anyone else who's doing that in – in washington uh, that i'm aware of and we you know that's something we make three or four of each week so we've made like over five or six hundred of those now every single week it changes we're constantly teaching the staff how to make them and progress on them um and i am so passionate about those things i I think they're a something that everybody should try you know that the whole method behind taking the the leaf lard from the pig and making the pastry turning it into the most um difficult thing in the kitchen to make there's so many variables with that that can go wrong. If from the aspect yep. being clarified like a consommé and reducing it down to to the way you egg wash. There's so many variables in flavor. So yep. that's what I would say. Try try the paté en croute.
1: It is a passion work to make a paté en croute. You have to know what you're doing. You also. Yep. Like he said, <laughs> you have to make sure you do it right because otherwise it falls it's apart. It's a lot of work to do the, way. <laughs> yeah.
0: the other thing I would say is I think I saw it at your shop, Lardo. Do you make like a little
3: pig uh, fat Lardo? We do. It takes us eight weeks to make and it sells in a day. So. I know. Yeah. It is
0: so good. And I if you've that. never had that, yeah. it's such a fun alternative to butter on a piece of baguette or something like that. And it's just whipped fat. Yep. And, and But yep. we don't have time to go into how you make it. But that is something if when you happen to find it there, grab a little quarter of uh, lardo and yeah. take it home and use it. It's yeah. so good.
3: Yeah. And the stocks as well. I mean, uh, Pamela was mentioning the stocks. We take an ins- entire side of a cow, roast the bones till they're burnt, and cook them for 78 hours oh. and strain it. That's why we're left with literally what is a, like a pile of gelatin, basically. I know.
2: It doesn't even right. pour. Right. Right. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> it just kind of glops. Uh,
3: yeah.
2: Okay. So we're so excited to hear about your pop-ups and dinners because being able to eat there with you. Yes. Um, All right. That's
0: coming up next right here on Cairo. More with Kevin Smith from the uh, Beast and Cleaver Butcher Shop in, uh, at 80th and 24th in North Ballard. This is uh, Tom and Terry on the Hot Stove Society radio show, Cairo 97.3 FM. And we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo radio. It's Tom Douglas.
1: And Terry Rocher, the chef in the hat,
0: and we're continuing our conversation with uh, Kevin Smith of the Beast and Cleaver Butcher Shop at 80th and 24th in uh, North Ballard, Crown Hill neighborhood, Loyal Heights, whatever you want to call that area. It's before you get to my house and before you get to Pamela's (laughs) house. That's what I know. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: So uh, we talked about the meats and the and the energy that's in your case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us about the things that you're bringing to the hood, like. Uh, you were telling us um, in the break about a burger pop-up that you do. Do you do a lot of yeah. uh, pop-ups, and are they all about eating, or is there some teaching
3: involved, or what's what's going on with your pop-ups? Yeah, so the pop-ups, basically, we, we just decide what we got, uh, excess of and mm-hmm. we'll turn it into something delicious so we're not going to say every wednesday there's a burger pop-up last week we had this six-year-old grass-fed uh wagyu beef in, um, and we had excess fat and back back legs so we made 75 of these amazing burgers and we we're big on instagram that's kind of where we do our social media we we post and 11 o'clock there was 45 people outside waiting in a line so we we sold uh alex the the cook and one of the butchers there sold 70 burgers in in an, an hour there's less than a burger a minute we were doing uh-huh and uh the, was he freaking out he loves it yeah he loves, he loves it. it he comes in early and wants to make burgers and do all this other crazy uh-huh. stuff yeah that's uh-huh. great <laughs> um educate he he's be young uh, well, he is young yeah <laughs> um as for other pop-ups, we we got a few st- things lined up um, with some really cool chefs in the city who are going to be coming down doing some. Uh, we we got an amazing ramen pop-up coming soon with who I think is the, be- the best ramen in the city in in, in my opinion. Um, so that's coming in a few weeks. We we haven't posted about that yet. And we do these events with um, a master sommelier, uh, Nick Davis, where we, we basically did a vertical beef tasting the other week. So vertical wine tasting, you're probably... That
2: one looked incredible. Uh, it's, it
3: was wild. So we chose wines, well, Nick chose the wines from 70s all the way up to like 2000. Vintage wines that you uh, last bottles in the country. Then we took beef from four different animals from the same cut. Uh, some aged in koji. Um, koji, the byproduct mm-hmm. of sake, miso, all that stuff. Um, then we took a 100-day age, a 21-day age, and the grass-fed Wagyu. And we cooked each steak while Nick was pairing it with um, vintage wines. Wow. And, uh, just to show people how different the animals can be from the same muscle. Right. Um, and that, so that was kind of educational, also a lot of fun, and we got to drink a lot of wine as well. So that sounds it. right up
1: our alley here <laughs> at the hot stove, man. I, I think also it's very interesting to be part of the education of people because I think a lot of people have no idea... Yeah. No, not even a, close to a concept of where the meat comes from, what part of the, the animal it is, yeah. and all the other parts that are left. You know, people, when they buy a steak, they don't think this comes from a 1,200-pound animal. They think, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I'm buying a steak. You yeah. know, so it's 16 ounces, that's what I want. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's super important that in the day we live in, with how much we want to try to care about the planet and the, you know, just a complete roundabout of yeah. everything… Yeah then we educate people and it is, it is your job. It is our job to just keep doing that. So it's yeah. very cool. Definitely. Yeah. The yeah. sustainability effect. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, chef, uh, Terry and I always talk about chef treats. And so when we're cutting down a duck or we're cutting down a, a turkey or a, a beef or whatever, yeah. um, there's always these little bits and bobs that the chef like picks off and eats either while he's doing it or saves for himself and the family. Yeah. And you hear this about butchers too. Uh, the butcher's treat, uh, now, I know as a, as a business owner and as a butcher, you, you're gonna, you're gonna eat whatever's left over, cause that's the, that's the rule of the day, you know, the number one rule. But if you could pick your own little butcher treat that you said you're gonna squirrel it away, no meat pun intended, uh, squirrel it away and say, this is what I'm having for dinner. What uh, What would you do?
3: I, I'm done already. So <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. We we roast the whole bottom round, the back leg. Uh, we take the whole bottom round, roast it till it's medium rare. Uh, salt, pepper, fennel. Nothing else goes on it. Just cooked it to 106 degrees. Pull it out. Rest it, and then you've got the most salty, delicious jus that's resting in there. All mm. the, uh, my treat is just to take some bread, scoop, let's scoop that up and eat that. That's that's me. Happy, the jus, happy days. <laughs> yeah, there. the yeah. juices that came yeah. up, and then the burnt pieces <laughs> that of sounds the so delicious, <laughs> and the burnt pieces of the uh, end of the roast beef, just like massively yeah. overcooked. Yeah. But yeah. you know what? Sometimes I just want to eat that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I much prefer uh, the had- the burnt pieces of, like the. I always ask for the shoulder end of the. Um, prime rib i'm out like a daniel's bearler yeah. and i'm getting yeah. prime rib i want the shoulder end and i want it salty yeah. and oh yeah. Uh, yeah yeah dark yes yeah. chef
1: yeah I, i'll pick the i'll pick the heart i'm a big fan uh, and probably cuz my family doesn't like it so yeah makes me even like it i'm i'm languishing to get a good beef heart and make Languished. some nice steak oh, yeah. wow when i was a child we used to have heart from time to time because we were poor so we couldn't afford to buy you know, we had Bavette once in a blue moon. We had yeah. Bavette, very yeah. thin steak of Bavette. Oh, yeah. And that was my mom's cervid cut, and we would have that once in a blue moon. But yeah. what we had the most was, you know, kidneys and, and all those different parts and mm-hmm. the heart. Yeah. Oh, man, that is so good, a steak, a, a hot beef steak. Oh,
3: yeah. Beef heart is spectacular, yeah. if It's yeah. Cooked, cooked really well. Um, spectacular.
0: You have to be careful yeah. with Terry sometimes because, like, he finds something that wants to uh, make people twisted, and then that's his favorite. Like, for a while there, he was serving coxcomb at a Rover's restaurant, oh, yeah. and yeah. it's like, oh, this is so delicious, so delicious, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was not delicious. It was just something that it was uh, unique, it's right, textural. Chef? It's, it's textural. It's textural, yes. It's textural. Yeah. Textural. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Pamela. I'm a big
2: fan oh. of what's your joints? what's your little chef treat? No, no. I want to make sure Kevin tells us about the peasant.
3: Oh, okay, yeah. Peasant. So the peasant is a is a sixteen seat restaurant we have inside Beast and Cleaver. Um so we do basically five to seven courses on a Friday and Saturday evening of not what you're going to expect to find in a butcher shop. So this is classical French food that I'm sure Thierry would love to come down and eat oh, someday. Yeah. Um, and the food is, like I say, it's not, you're not going to come in and get steak and chips or like what, like what you'd get at a vertical beef tasting. Um, we, we, we usually start off with a pâté en croute, and we usually finish with uh, either il flottin or, or soufflé. Um, and wow. in the middle, we are doing um, some... Amazing dry-aged beef that we hang up over the hibachi grill and smoke over hazelnut wood Mm. and just leave it smoke all day. Covered in koji. Koji, I could talk for hours about, but I I won't today. Um, It's massively interesting. I believe we're the only place that I'm aware of who's actually using this technique as well. Yeah.
1: And that's every Friday and Saturday? Every Friday and Saturday,
3: but we are sold out until december at the moment yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. The coming january <laughs> we, we, we can figure something out i'm sure yeah um yeah so the, so massively french influenced we also like to take english and american food and kind of kind of mash it up and just do our little fun take on it again classy trashy there's a lot of foie gras there's a lot of scrapple there's lots of uh, ingredients that, that that you won't find anywhere else and it's something i'm massively massively passionate about yeah
0: well, our guest has been mm. Kevin Smith from Beast and Cleaver up there in Loyal House, uh, Crown Hill, North Ballard area, uh, 80th and 24th Northwest. And uh, check them out. It's an awesome place. It's in Pamela's and my neighborhood. So we get in there once in a while. And uh, it's. And thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate thank you it. for having me on. I appreciate Absolutely. that.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: In the next hour, we have so much going on. But the first one is going to be uh, James Beard Award winner dinner with Rachel Yang. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show, hour number two. We've got another whole hour. I hope you're out in your garden or in your car or podcasting us while you're cooking dinner, whatever it is that you're doing while you are hanging with us. We appreciate your time and hope you're having something delicious to sip. And eat while you're doing it. Uh, chef Terry in the chapeau. Yes, sir. Welcome back, my good
1: man. Oh, a pleasure being here. Are you kidding?
0: No, I'm not. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this hour, we're going to talk about the James Beard Award uh, Society. We're going to talk about uh, Stacy, uh, our pastry chef out at the Dahlia Workshop in, uh, uh the last of the season cherries what the heck to do with them all uh we have uh the food for thought tasty trivia challenge brought to you by rub with love spice rubs but first we're going to talk about the james spears society and the fancy dinner that's coming up here dick stevens is on the line to tell us about what he's doing with uh, one of our favorite chefs rachel yang hi
4: dick hi tom hi Terry. how are you guys
0: super fantastic Tell us about the dinner. Always a pleasure to be on your show. Always a pleasure to be
4: on the show. Well, we've got another great Taste America production coming to Seattle. Um, It's always exciting and an honor that Seattle just keeps getting chosen as one of these 10 to 20 cities that becomes part of the Taste America program. And what's just really, really exciting is it's the first live Taste America event we've been able to do um, in almost two years, uh, obviously because of the pandemic. We're on the... Coming off of two really great uh, take-home meal kits, Taste Americas, one we did with Aaron Versosa um, a couple months back. And then back in the last fall, we did one with uh, Chef Jason Wilson. But this one that we're doing in Seattle and just like the other nine cities is a live event. And um, we're going to be taking some good precautions to still be within compliance with COVID. But it really feels good to be out in the community and, and being able to do these dinners uh, face-to-face again.
0: What, uh, what's uh, Miss Rachel making? You know, I, whenever I try to get into Revel out there in Fremont, her restaurant in Fremont, it is always jammed. Uh, and she's got one of the best patios in her new location there. What's she making for dinner? Do you know yet?
4: Yes, we do. And it's on the website, too. If anybody takes a good look at the org and click on the Seattle button, it, it carefully shows the coursework. The four-course meal, uh, we're going to start out with the first course is a bread course. Uh, it's a sea wolf rye sourdough with uh, Kerrygold butter and uh, some assorted cheeses. And then we're going to pair that with a uh, rabbit hole bespoke gin with peach and Thai basil shrub cocktail um, called the Looking Glass. So that's going to be first course. Mm. Uh, the second course is an appetizer with uh Dungeness crab and some heirloom uh, tomato, some puffed rice. And we're going to be bringing in a wine that will just be pairing beautifully with that. The wine to be named uh, quite soon. And then the main course, uh, where Rachel just gets to flex all those exciting muscles of what she does there at Revel, is she's got a, a Mala flat iron beef with uh, sweet corn turnip cake, and, and uh, I think this is really going to set the standard. I think just for her to be able to serve this live and, and be in her own restaurant and doing this with her her customers, and, and also the James Beard following will be awesome, and we'll have a really lovely wine that will go with that. And then we're going to finish things up uh, with a nice dessert, and uh, it's going to be uh, something that we're going to bring another flight of uh, some really interesting cocktails that will go with that. Is This going to be a great, beautiful program. What's unique about this dinner, to, to be safe, Tom and Terry, we're doing two two seatings. There's going to be a 5 o'clock dinner and a 7.45 dinner, and that will allow us to serve 50 to 60 people at a time. Some will be outside, some will be inside, and it will allow us to really take a good good step in the right direction but not go too crazy with uh with getting into so much proximity with with people's social distance
0: and what um so this benefits the james beard foundation or is it just really a celebration of the foundation no
4: no it's uh, all the taste america events uh we benefit the foundation however we are doing a 65 percent of the revenues go back to rachel and to revel and she's going to be doing a donation of her proceeds do a program that's near and dear to her is the high road program um and 35 percent of the proceeds immediately go right to work for the james beard foundation's women's leadership program so no one's lining their pockets here all the money goes right to work and uh, it's really definitely a charity dinner but it is a james beard event so we're excited about it coming back
0: pamela you worked with that women's leadership project with james beard for many years um Uh, What did you get out of that? Uh, I thought it was really fulfilling, and we found some very nice young women and tried to mentor them into more time in our profession.
2: Yeah, it was a little too successful. They all went on to their own (laughs) career. (laughs) But it definitely – well, I think it made us better because you have to be organized to mentor someone. So the James Beard Foundation had criteria for what they wanted the candidates to get out of the program – so we had to stay focused on making sure we met them. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, we were able to recruit everyone um, that interned with us. So we loved the association. Right. Uh, so, uh, Dick, how do people get tickets? Uh, when
0: is the event? And uh, how much do they cost? And all that sort of stuff. The, the nitty-gritty. Yeah.
4: The nitty-gritty. So uh, James Beard's Taste America event for Seattle is going to be on August 15th. That's a Sunday. And like you mentioned, it's going to be at Revel there in Fremont. And by the Farmers Almanac, the last hundred years, this is the warmest and driest weekend of the year. So we're anticipating Uh-oh. the folks to really enjoy uh, the awesome summer, the summertime, and those who sit outside really have a great experience. But you can buy tickets, and there's only 126 uh, tickets total. So we have about 30 tickets left. And you guys are such good promoters in helping us get these things sold out. So if people go to JBF tasteamerica.org click on the seattle button we're selling the tickets in pairs and they're three hundred dollars uh for two and that includes all four courses the cocktails the whole shoot match and then everybody will go home with a lovely goodie bag as well with some with some nice items in there
0: All right. That sounds super fun. Uh, I I wonder if I can find a a way to get there that night. I'm a big fan of Rachel's cooking, but uh, I think I'm actually in Newark, Delaware that day. We'll have to see. I'm going to see my mom. Well, you know, we'd love to have you guys.
4: Uh, I can certainly help follow up and make sure if it's it's something we can do to help you out there, Tom. We appreciate it.
0: Well, you know what? I was thinking it might be fun for uh, uh, us to treat one of our listeners to dinner there. We have lots of listeners And so uh, we'll have to think of a trivia question that they can respond to uh, later in the show uh, that uh, maybe we can get a couple of tickets and and help out the cause. Because I'm sure one of our listeners uh, probably can't afford to go to this dinner but would love to anyway. So why don't we do that, Chef Terry? Are you cool
1: with that? I'm totally cool with that. Totally cool with that. I feel good about that. I think it's... It just shows your kindness once again, Mr. Douglas. All
0: right, Mr. Dick Stevens, thank you for coming on and telling us all about this uh, dinner with Rachel Yang, August 15th, 300 bucks a couple, and uh, get in there and go support the James Beard Foundation. Up next, it's uh, going to be our, virg- our vision of the New York Times article this last uh, July 14th, all about little sauces you can use to kind of enhance your meal that are simple, worldly, and delicious. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society. I'm Tom Douglas.
1: And I'm Terry Rutherford, Chef in the Hat.
0: And Terry, uh, I have often said on this show, uh, and I tell my own uh, team, uh, that uh, if you don't get the New York Times food section every week, you are not in the know you're not you're not with That's it right. because it's the best food section in the world and so sometimes i I forget even to to read it on wednesdays because i used to have it delivered now i have to look it up online uh but mm-hmm. this last uh, uh july 14th wednesday's food edition was i think over the top and pamela you brought it in so tell us a little bit what you were thinking about it and what really piqued your interest it's all about sauces right little simple sauces
2: Absolutely. And after the year of the lockdown, COVID lockdown, I was running out of ideas for dinner. And it makes so much difference if you come up with some creative, zesty, unusual and fresh spicing and sauces. And I I found the color and the time that they put into that article completely inspirational. I'm willing to make chicken breasts again just so I can have all the sauces.
0: (laughs) Well, you need a sauce for chicken breasts. Come on. Come on.
1: You can do better. You know you can use use halibut instead, right?
2: Uh, Or halibut. She Uh, loves fish. Especially halibut. I think halibut needs the help even more. I I agree with you. It's not my favorite. I started slathering it with anchovies. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so anyway this food section has uh, they asked their team of writers at the new york times uh, in the food departments uh, i'm assuming in the food departments uh, to come up with sauces from their ethnicity and uh, or or not maybe some of us like me are mutts and that we're a little bit all over the place but uh, there's a really amazing uh, combination of things and there's classics in there like charmoula and chef i know you love charmoula uh, because yes. to me, I like it because it's a good way to use up all the bits and bobs of herbs that you have left over, and it's, it uh, kind of combines, no matter what you put in it, it kind of combines to this bright, tasty green uh, sauce. Yeah.
1: Most importantly, I think we have a, we live in a world where everything is already portioned for you when you go to the store, so you're not free to buy three stems of, of watercress or three stems of basil. You have to buy the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. You have to buy the whole bunch, and... and what happened in 99% of the time in most people's refrigerator is the rest of the cilantro bunch goes into the fridge and then 2 days later you're like oh damn I got to use this because otherwise it's going to go bad and then it rots and then you throw it away. So instead of wasting it, you know, things sauces like chamula is you know just a blend of herbs basically and it's, you know there is a, a basic to it but there is a you know the idea is herbs and tanginess from lemon juice or vinegar and Mix the whole thing together, a little bit of oil, and then you get you get this beautiful thing that you can spray onto just about anything that's been grilled or roasted or spray uh, you know. You could even put it on toasted bread, nicely dark grilled bread, put the charmoula on top, and then a few slices of Asiago cheese, and then you've you've got a wonderful little toast. You know, so it's it's numerous usage. And most importantly, you did not throw away that half bunch of cilantro right. or basil or whatever. Uh-huh. That's where the most key important part comes in.
0: There's other ones that I find really delicious that uh, can be unique to you. You know, like uh, how curry is unique to each Indian family that makes it, right? right. Or what. Uh, asian family that makes it um cham can be the same way and i always think of it of the way that they used to make it at saigon over the counter in the pike place market i'd love their mm-hmm. Nok cham right with sugar and lime juice and serrano it was uh, perfect and fish sauce it was always perfect Perf sauce, yeah but when you look at recipes for knock cham all over the place they can be that one was always somewhat dark from the fish sauce uh and um you can find a bright, light red from Indonesia and places like that where the Nwakchama cham is just made with a little bit different ingredient. But the, the same ide- idea, that sweet, sour, uh, peppery mm-hmm. kind of finish. And it's so great on a big uh, Thai beef salad or uh, uh, on a piece of grilled fish or, you know, uh, things of that nature. And simple thing to do. And it lasts for a few days in the fridge once you do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, acids and honey goes a long, long, long way for sweet and sour. Mm-hmm. Little chili heat in there or even even pepper, cracked pepper, if you don't have any chili on the a, on a spot, can be making a very nice little spicy little dressing that goes onto just about anything. Yeah, you're right. Right.
0: One of the sauces they talk about is chili crisp, and they give a recipe in the New York Times for chili crisp, which is very different, in my mind, from the chili crisp you and I have fallen uh, in love with, the Loganma chili crisp yeah. from China. Um, this one has it starts with vegetable oil. Of course, you have to fry the chilies, right? So, right. Um, minced dried minced onion, which is interesting because you start with dried onion, right? Instead of starting with wet onion and, and having to get it dry. So, this right. uh, that's a nice shortcut. I hadn't really thought about that before. If I was to make my own chili crisp, there's of course salt, and and then uh, they use just kind of the dried red chilies that you would use on uh, a pizza that you see, you know, like right. we serve at Serious Pie on the side, right? That's going to be a much hotter chili crisp than the chilies in the logan ma. Which you and I, you know, you're a spice weenie and you love the logan ma. And it's not oh. super spicy, right? It's more rich flavored in chilies, uh, in my mind. Uh, and
1: smokiness. I like the. I like the the different layers of texture of uh, flavor there are in that chili crisp. It's really good. Right. And I've 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 done addition to that chili crisp. You know, a little bit of olive oil, mustard, of course, because I put mustard in everything. So, but it, it definitely brings another texture and character to the sauce you know and it's just nice to give it a little change again if you had charmula uh left and you only have a couple of spoon and you're like oh i'm a bit short for my chicken breast for my you know for me and my my wife or whatever you can add a little bit of that charmula mix to it and then boom you've changed the charmula and the chili crisp together and now you have something that's a completely change it's a different sauce but it still works. It's right. still a beautiful sauce.
0: Yogurt is one of my favorite uh, bases for mm. sauces. And uh, Pamela and I have been giving some grilling classes uh, you know, recently out here at the hot stove and out at the Ballard Warehouse outside. And we talk about how nice and cool that yogurt base is. Uh, of course, we make it in tzatziki or raita style. Um, and it's such a nice, when you have a hard wood char on a steak or a roast, that cool kind of yogurt-based sauce is really a nice condiment and probably my favorite condiment for meat. And I'd say the only place you ever really see it is in Greek restaurants on lamb kebabs or in Indian right. restaurants on tandoori.
1: Right, which is a shame. Well, I mean, you see it in other places. In other People, I think, are using, I think in the palates of people in general who go out more often. Um, is changing slowly but surely, and, and is getting familiar more with the sourness and the bitterness and all those different flavors that have been uh, prominent in other culture and slowly but surely it's changing the sweet food to you know, all those different aspects in, in america i think it's it 's nice to see that that forwardness but you 're right yogurt is extremely convert- I mean, you can use it in so many different things.
0: Uh, there's a sauce in here that kind of caught my eye because it's, it's like a refrigerator sauce. It's called Yangnyeom, Y-A-N-G-N, Y-E-O-M sauce. And uh, it's by Eric Kim here in the Times. He's one of the Times cooking staffers. But it's one half cup of ketchup, two tablespoons of uh, goju chong, uh, uh, the Korean kind of barbecue sauce, uh, rice vinegar, maple syrup, strawberry jam, <laughs> soy sauce, garlic and, and salt and pepper and i just think it's like what family what culture came up with when you uh, you know it sounds like such an ethnic sauce right yang and yum sauce uh, but it has maple syrup and strawberry jam in it with ketchup
1: It just sounds the- like you know what it sounds like it sounds like a foreign culture coming to america and using what's local as well
0: kind of like uh, mean- the internment camp fried uh, rice right with uh, with ketchup and bacon and onion the Tanaka-san yeah, family fried rice. Well, he's, same he's I,
2: saying it's great, especially, especially wonderful with crispy fried things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just think I, – I thought it was charming that in such a serious newspaper that that sauce was right there in the middle of all of it all. So, the bottom uh, line
1: – I think the, the one of the bottom line to remember of this story, and, and I think a lot of people should read it, is to not buy those sauces ahead of time with preservative and everything. Make your own. It's really not that complicated – And when you make it, you make a little batch of it so you have it enough for a few days. And, you know, then you move on to the next sauce.
0: Exactly. And there's such a nice uh, group of recipes that you can do that uh, with right right here. And if you go online, you might be able to, if you just buy the one, I mean, look at the one article, it's free. Uh, Okay, up next, (laughs) Stacey Fortner is going to join us from the Dahlia Workshop Pastry Kitchen out in Ballard at our serious takeout. We're going to talk about finishing up the crop of Washington cherries that's in our midst on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Welcome back, it's the Hot Stove Society show uh, and it's cherry season right at the last end of it and it's time now uh, to get make sure you get what you want preserved and get the style of cherries that you want because they're starting to, to dwindle especially the local cherry season right from eastern Washington. I know uh, Jackie has made uh, some jams, she's uh, frozen all of our sour cherries all pitted and frozen ready for tarts throughout the winter uh, so we've invited Chef Stacy Fortner who's the uh, pastry queen at the dahlia <laughs> workshop out in ballard and we've invited her to tell us what she's doing with all the different cherries and uh, how she's preserving them how she's not preserving them cooking them right now all sorts of things welcome to the show stacy
5: thanks chef
0: so uh, tell us yeah, about so- uh, your fun your fun times during this uh, what i think is one of washington's coolest seasons the cherry season
5: yeah it's pretty amazing here so before i moved here i didn't realize that we uh, we grow the most sweet cherries in the in the country, so yeah. that's pretty cool. But in addition to that, I also want to talk a little bit about our sour cherry production, which for me, a pastry chef, is so fun. We also are the third largest grower of sour cherries, so I thought that was kind of a neat fact.
0: So go ahead and uh, tell us about question. your sour, sour cherries.
5: So I have a sour cherry tree, and so I definitely want to talk about the sour cherries here because, one, they're really hard to find. It's super hard to find, even though we are the third uh, largest grower Uh, You can occasionally find them at your farmer's market. But I have seen recently that City Fruit was offering up, uh, they're picking some local sour cherries, and they offered them up even for free for anybody who wanted to just pick some up and kind of give them a try and a recipe. And so the thing about the sour cherries, unlike the sweet ones, is you do have to cook them. They're not something you just want to pick off the tree and eat it. But they're the ones you see that are like bright red, almost fake looking, like the kind of cherries, you know, from your childhood. That go in the pie, and so I have a, I have a sweet cherry tree and a sour cherry tree. So this time of year, you can imagine I'm really busy at home. But uh, the thing about the sour cherries is they are they a little bit labor intensive. You have to they, they don't travel well, and that's why you don't see them commercially usually fresh. But you can definitely buy them frozen. Uh, to me, they're the most iconic cherry flavor. You know that you would see on like cheesecake or that sour cherry pie with vanilla ice cream. So um, it's all you really need to do, though, if you see some. Uh, you just want to pick them. And pitting them is kind of the hard part, but I usually just kind of squeeze the pit out while they're ripe, and then uh, I freeze them, and then I keep them all year until the next year when they come in season. But if you don't really feel like taking the time to pit them, you can also stew them and make a nice cocktail with them.
0: I'll stew them and then put them through, like, a, a, a ricer or something, to, uh, like a food food or, mill, right? Or
5: even just... Even just strain it because they get really soft. They have a lot tender, get more tender skin than the sweet cherry. Where the sweet cherry, I like to eat those fresh. Mm-hmm. I don't really prefer to cook those as much. Uh, whereas the sour cherry has a really tender skin, so you can just kind of cook them and they break down really quickly. I've used them to make my cherry kombucha last year, uh, and any sort of cocktail really would be delicious. Or what I did with the sweet cherries this year because. Had a lot of those, and I can only eat so many.
2: Um, I made some pickled cherries. Do you guys ever do that? Sure. Yeah. yeah, that sounds tremendous.
1: I actually do. I actually do um, rainier cherry uh, pickled. They work well too.
2: For some reason, chef in
0: particular, and- or is that's what you had.
1: No, that's what I had, okay. and I tried that, and it actually worked out really well. You know, pickled pickled rainier cherry has a jar in the in the fridge, and then you use that for a condiment for. Uh, side garnish to you know, diced with uh, cured meat, grilled meat, or even with uh, uh, maybe
2: like a pork.
1: Yeah, with with cheese, it, it works really well with cheese, definitely.
2: What about drying, uh, Stacy? Which would you dry the sweet or or the sour cherry?
5: I, if it were me, I would dry the um, the sweet cherries because the sour cherries are really they're really juicy, and especially once you squeeze the pit out, there's just there's not a whole lot there. Um, did you know that the Renew Cherry was actually created in Prosser, Washington?
2: Hmm. What? <laughs> world, famous, <laughs> world famous Prosser, Washington. Yeah, 1972.
0: And it must be a, a, oh. a, a, a hybrid between a Bing and what?
5: Mm. A Bing and a van.
2: A Bing and a van. Oh, you did your homework, girlfriend. That's <laughs> Awesome. <laughs>
5: I'm preparing for trivia. <laughs> that's, that,
2: that's right.
0: Okay, so uh, we've got our sour cherries. We've got them pitted. Uh, when you squeeze them like that, uh, you have to, uh, they'll just be one big block of cherries if you put them in, a, you know, like in a quart jar and put them in the freezer. So you have to IQF them or individually quick freeze mm-hmm. them, right? So then when you go into so your freezer,
5: ways, go ahead. There's two ways I like to do it. The first year, I put them all on a sheet tray. So like you said, they were flat. I froze them flat, and then I, uh, you know, thawed them out just enough to put them in a bag so all the cherries were kind of loose, and that made for good space because you could have the flat bags and stack them up. But I found later, every time I wanted to make a pie, I had to re-measure the amount of cherries out of there that I needed for the recipe. So this year, what I started doing, and because I try to capture all that juice that kind of seeps out when you're pitting them to, mm-hmm. so I freeze one pint, of sour cherries with whatever juice comes out. And then that's the perfect amount for a nine inch pie. And i tell you, I kind of at home, I do this, I do three tablespoons of cornstarch, one cup of sugar, one pint of sour fruit. It could be, you know, uh, sour, it could be sour cherries. It could be rhubarb. It could be raspberry. Sometimes I kind of mix and match from my yard. And that makes it the perfect size for a nine inch pie.
0: So one pint of fruit, and then uh, say the
2: measurements again. Now one quart. One, one quart, quart of, fruit. of fruit. Yeah, that sounds more. One like
5: cup it. Of, one cup of sugar, three tablespoons of starch, and then you know you can add additional flavorings, a little orange dust. You could add a little bit of butter. You could add some jam the in there if you want. But that's your basic recipe, and then the, I I can throw a pie together in seconds now.
1: Mm-hmm. Chef, uh, very clever. What do they you do have? make a,
5: a delicious jam too.
0: Yeah, they certainly do. Uh, any favorite herbs to put in your cherry jam, or do you like it straight up?
5: I I like to put um, a little black pepper. Honestly, mm-hmm. like to put maybe some, or even a Szechuan peppercorn, something to give a little spice. Because cherries and pepper go really nice together. And then maybe a little orange zest, or uh, maybe star anise, but not too much. You know, with the natural flavor shine. Exactly. I also uh, like to add you, a little red currant jelly from my bush. Sometimes uh, I have a red currant bush, so I make a little jelly, and then I'll add that to the pie.
0: Too. You add that to the pie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah,
5: if you have a little extra jelly hanging around, you can always add a couple spoons of that.
0: Chef Terry, you got a question?
1: And yeah, if you if you have any uh, leftover of those uh, sweet uh, of those sour cherries, you can also mix them with a little bit of Dijon mustard and mm-hmm. some cracked peppercorn and have a nice little mustard on your hand. Just, again, for cheeses or for garnishes, for cut meat, cold meat. It's always a good thing to have in your refrigerator, and it's a good way to use those sour cherries. You know, and
5: you can also, the fresh the fresh cherries, you can just pit them and roast them with a little olive oil and salt and pepper, which I think is what we're doing at pie and the salad right now.
2: Roasted. That sounds fantastic. Mm. Well, you have to roast
0: them long enough to dry them out a bit, or else they're going to just be a big pile and, and of mush. And on a high temperature. Yeah, yeah high
5: yeah. temperature.
0: Yeah like, yeah, yeah, like about, about 425,
5: 450 for a home oven for about seven minutes.
0: All right. Um, ice cream. Let's jump into cherry ice cream real quick, because that seems to be a favorite of everyone. Cherry Garcia is the number one flavor, I think, for Ben, oh. and, ben and Jerry's. Uh, how would you add cherries to an ice cream base, because without <laughs> making it kind of watery and icy?
5: Well, actually, that that is exactly how I would do it, just like we were saying. I would roast them. Roast so, cream. you know, if you don't want to use, you know, you need a little a little bit of, um, I, I like a little bit of olive oil, honestly, because it's, uh, even, even the ice cream, it tastes delicious. So, yeah, just roast them uh, at a high temperature. They'll get just a tiny bit syrupy, and then you can kind of chop them up after they've been cooled. Mm-hmm. And then just fold them right into the bake.
0: So you fold them in before you turn your ice cream?
5: Well, it depends. I like to put them in after because I like, you know, a little more streaks of colors. But if you wanted extra cherry flavor, you could definitely add it in the beginning. You could even blend it into a puree and then just make cherry ice cream. But I like my ice cream chunky, so for me, I would I would chop them up and add them at the end after okay. you
1: spun it. Yeah, I, I would too.
0: You would take your you would take your ice cream. You would freeze it. Ninety percent, and then stir it in, and then freeze the whole thing together. Is what you're saying, Chef? Correct. Okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I I think you. It's nice to have those little chunk of Bing cherry into your into your ice cream. Yeah.
0: All right, we got to run to. Yeah, I uh, love
1: when you get that big
0: chunk. We got to run the tasty trivia, Stacy. You're going to stay for trivia. You know it. All right, good, (laughs) Chef. uh, Just uh, I don't think Stacy can hear us right now, but let's kill her. Let's just (laughs) trounce her. When we come Can back, on oh, she was listening. When we come back on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Hey, it's the Hot Stove Society Show. We're wrapping things up with our Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Chef Stacy Fortner from the Dahlia Workshop Bakery out in Ballard is. Uh, Going to be our fodder today, Chef uh, Rotoro, <laughs> Chef uh, in the Chapeau. We're, let's take her down. I know we're not teammates, but with Stacy, is so competitive that we have to team up uh, <laughs> mentally uh, to take yeah, her no down. Taste Trivia is brought to you by Rub with Love, a small batch, versatile rub, sauces, and mustards that bring an extra layer of flavor to just about any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store or specialty shop. Or find them online at TomDouglas.com. Your buddy Stan, Amazon, uh, Bartel sells them. Uh, They're all over the place. QFCs, Met Markets, Butcher Shops, you name it. Go out and get yourself a jar of Rub With Love today. It's back in stock. We were out of of jars for quite a while, and now we're back in business. Uh, Pamela, can you tell us who we're playing for and how we play the game?
2: We're playing for Ellen Riggs Salamino, joining us for the first time on Facebook Live. So we celebrate that. We are going to have the three motivated contestants each get five questions. The loser has to ship the prize, this week's prize recommended to us by the fabulous Carol Bosch. She chose veggie rub, pork rub and toasted shallot mustard. I think that combination mm. would make Terry and I so happy. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. i mean
2: <laughs> So So, we'll, we're going to start with Terry today with his five questions. All right. Number one, right. what is bocancini?
1: Is that uh, bocancini? I think it's a pasta. Oh,
2: no, 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 no. No, no. One more try. No, boc-
1: bocancini, that's a, a fish.
2: <laughs> Something to do with fish, right? <laughs> it is... Sorry, the- I'm, I- the small nuggets of mozzarella. I, I would have, have said pasta too, chef. Bocconcini, come on! You go to Met Market every day. They have a big selection of bocconcini.
1: <laughs> I don't buy bocconcini. I buy whole mozzarella. Oh like no wonder they are whole, they're
2: whole, just small.
5: <laughs> that's, that's not enough to satisfy. And am, by the
1: way, like I've stepped up. I've stepped up to burrata. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Number two. What is another name for Chinese white cabbage? It's a beautiful wine valley.
1: What are you talking?
2: Oh, uh, Napa cabbage. Uh, yeah, Napa bo- bok choy was what the... <laughs> bok choy. Um, Sorry, chef, I steered oh, so you wrong. Steered so it so right. it's not napa. it's not Napa
1: cabbage. It's not it's Napa, it's bok napa. choy. Uh, you're,
2: yeah, you're not helping each other. Number three, please name <laughs> the fluffy yet creamy candy made with granulated sugar, corn syrup, and stiffly beaten egg whites. Marshmallow. Divinity. (laughs) Okay, number four. Are grains of paradise a pasta, a wheat, or a spice?
1: A spice from Africa. Yes,
2: you rock. Number five. The hamburger is said to have made its first appearance at the Seattle World's Fair in 1964. Is that true or false?
1: Totally false. It's totally false.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was first reported at the St. Louis Purchase Exposition in 1904.
1: Yes, I I would believe that. Much better. Too correct. Stacy,
2: time for you.
1: I'm giving you the red carpet, (laughs) Stacy. I'm
2: I'm up? Okay.
5: Those are hard questions, Siri.
2: Oh, they... Number one, why do hikers like beef jerky?
5: Wait a minute. are v- vegetarian? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a trick question?
2: <laughs> what are some of the attributes that make it perfect for hiking?
5: Uh, well, it's shelf-stable. It yep. doesn't have to be refrigerated. Yep. And um, it's lightweight.
2: Yes. Light and shelf-stable and full of protein. You get a yes. Number two, what is the age limit for a baby sheep to be called a lamb? Mm. Before
5: it becomes a mutton. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. I'm just going to have to guess, though. So I'm going to say three.
2: Less than no. a year. Okay. Nine months. You even say Did less than You know that Jerry? one, Kerry? Nine
1: months is less nine than a year. To ten months is yeah. usually where the, the lamb becomes mutton.
2: Number three, Stacy, please describe the chiffonade cut on leafy vegetables.
5: Oh, I was a scholar in my culinary <laughs> class. I had a lot of lot of flashcards. So, a chayanot is a, a a green leafy vegetable, thinly sliced.
2: Yes, in strips or shards. You are a scholar. Um, <laughs> number four. How do you pick a nice, ready to eat, fresh coconut? This Say. is the woman who makes about a thousand coconut green pies <laughs> a day.
5: <laughs> yeah, but not from not from the actual coconut. <laughs> I would say shake it and listen to maybe how much water is in there.
2: You nailed it. That is correct. And it said you also should avoid damp eyes. I don't know what that means. So.
5: Oh, it's like, the, it's like the three little eyes on the end of the coconut. I guess that
2: just means that's that
0: it's okay. leaking through.
1: I mean, it's leaking, yeah.
0: And you know those young coconuts that you see in the store? No, that you, can no, put we, a, you can whack with a, a, a cleaver and open it up and put a straw in and...
2: Have fresh coconut water. Delicious, and finally, Stace, what is congee typically made from?
5: Congee is made from, I would assume, day-old rice.
2: Yep, rice and boiled water. You are screaming into the lead with four correct, Mister. <laughs> wow, Mister <I'm> Tom, <laughs> give Tom, a run for his money it. today. Mister Douglas, what makes a convection oven different from a traditional oven? A fan. Yes. Those hot air all over. And what is a go? Speaking,
5: f- Speaking of hot air, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh.
0: Oh. that was a shot across the bow right there. Wasn't even across the bow. That was that was a head-on hit. Uh, what is a go fret? A go fret. That's something that you do when somebody makes you mad. You go fret.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a potato chip, like a waffle-style potato chip. Uh, and lightly sweet. Uh, we'll give you a .5 on that. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> lightly sweet. That's nonsense. Terry, what is a gofret?
1: So a gofret, Tom, to correct uh, what you're saying, pom gofret is a potato that is sliced, as you know it, uh, perforated and yeah. fried. Yeah, like That's a waffle palm chip. gofret. But the actual word gofret is a biscuit or a cookie that is made. A sli- it's a wafer. A wafer, wafer?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Number three, what is hoisin made from? Oh, all sorts of things, but uh, it's got uh, mung bean
0: paste as the base. Mm. It's got, oh, believe me, I know this one.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> My reference said soybeans. Yeah, that's mung beans. Are they soy like, beans. Does anybody want to counter that? No, I'm, I'm, um, uh,
1: I'm with
2: it. <laughs> bean paste as aren't, meat, aren't, miso. And aren't mushroom. mung beans smaller? I think they're oh different. God. I think they're different. I can't believe you. Uh, we will have a. I've eaten more hoisin. <laughs> I know you than have all of you combined by fifty thousand times. <laughs> I've even made my own hoisin. Uh, and you probably use soybeans, like they said. <laughs> um, this is a gimme. You're going to win this week. What is the main ingredient in dashi? Seaweed. Yes, kombu. And finishing up, what is musaka, and where is it from? <laughs> Terry doesn't do you think they you those can questions? get it. <laughs> uh, are you talking about eggplant moussaka or a lamb the, moussaka? The traditional.
0: Um, it's from Greece, I believe. Yep. And uh, it is a layered, almost like a lasagna layered. Uh, uh, Terry, what's that uh, kind of cream, uh, bechamel type uh, with uh, ground lamb and things like that? And it's spiced. Yeah.
2: Mr. Douglas, you are the winner today. Woo-hoo. I thought you didn't give me credit for Good job, Tom! <laughs> Way to go, Stacy You're bragging right. First time in a long time, so we're
0: we're happy to see. Thanks it. for showing up. Uh, how is it nice that I'm back on top
2: again?
0: With Stacey's comments, I still feel like a loser. She's uh, <laughs> a bunch, I'm a bunch of hot air. you big loser. Uh, if you want to be part of the show, no,
5: you're back. You're back on top this week. All
0: right. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to us on Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't, Call Me Don't Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app.
1: Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.